Colossians chapter 3, uh, running from verses 12 through to 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive what grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, uh, Greg, for reading uh, that passage of scripture for us this morning. Friends, let's uh, come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would help us to understand this word, apply it to our hearts and lives. And Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you this morning so that your spirit can do his work freely amongst us. Father, I pray for myself that you forgive me for my sins and that you would use me as an instrument in your hands to share your precious word with your precious people, a privilege and an honor that is never taken for granted. In Jesus' name, Amen. Dear friends, what a joy this morning for us to witness uh, the to hear the testimony of Rose Stephen, as well as to witness the sacrament of adult baptism. Two things we saw this morning. One is that she had experienced God's peace in a wonderful way, and also an item of thanks to God. It fits in beautifully this morning with our theme today, which is peace and thanks. They go together. When we experience God's peace in our lives, it shows with thanks given in our lives as well. Peace and thanks. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Just only one verse this morning for our concentration today. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. I'll come to that in a moment. You see, we have been studying a mini-series on godliness during, this, uh, during our morning services in the past few weeks. And I mentioned that godliness flows from our union with Christ. And therefore, we are complete in Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells us that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we are united to Christ by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and because of the atoning death of Christ alone, we have been justified by Christ alone and set free by the power of Christ to live for Jesus in this world. It is because of that great and wonderful union that we have in Christ that are standing before God is already one of being holy and cleansed, renewed, restored, reconciled, and being renewed in the likeness of Christ. Wonderful blessings that we have in and through Jesus. And I mentioned last week that in his systematic theology, Professor Wayne Grudem defined union as this, and I want to reiterate that this morning, that union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize 
several different relationships between believers and Christ, through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. Great words, a power-packed statement, we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, that is we do not become Christ, but we imitate him, and we are in Christ. Therefore, friends, we have a status before God as sons and daughters of God. I was reading uh, the book of Galatians this past week. It's part of my study, my own personal uh, devotional life. I came across this wonderful statement in Galatians. I'm sure you know it very well. That calls us, it's called the spirit of adoption. We have been adopted into the family of God. And where we can call out to God. What is it? You know the verse. The verse not the, not the pop group. Abba. Abba Father. Right? Means Daddy. Means we can approach God as a child would approach his father with those words, Daddy. I mean, for us dads, I'm sure mums as well. I'm not excluding the mums here. But I think, you know, to, to see your child calling you Daddy, that first word that he might say, or she might say, Mum or Daddy, ah, they're so precious, aren't they? And every time you hear your child calls you dad, I mean, doesn't that make you feel so privileged? Because we can approach our father and call him daddy. Because he cares for us and he loves us with an everlasting love. And so we have this mutual relationship. Christ in us and we in Christ. And in conversion, our old self died, was laid aside with its impulses and drives and habits. And a new self has been created in us with a new birth being born again in Christ. And therefore the Bible tells us that if you are in Christ Jesus, that you are a new creation. A new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And hence what is his becomes ours. For God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And the question then is, how does our union with Christ shape the way we relate with others. We know that we are believers. How does that relate in practice? How does it shape our growth in godliness? And as we have looked at this aspect in the last couple of weeks, we have observed that this is because of our union with Christ. And therefore, Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I'm not going to read the old text there. But we have five things that he's called us to put aside. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must put them all away as well. And he gives us six things that are there. I'm going to give it to you straight away. Anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene or abusive language, and line. And the reason to put these things away is stated in verse 10. You have put on the new self which is being renewed in the image of its creator. And so we noted this metaphor of clothing. Taking off an old garment and putting on a new garment. And so Paul goes on on that theme. I'm giving you a context here so that we know the flow of this passage. And Paul says in verses 11 to 14 which we saw last week. Here there is no Greek and Jew and so forth. 
let me focus once again on verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I mean, John mentioned that this morning with the kids' talk. We are one team, aren't we? We are in the team Jesus. Now, speaking of teams, I know those who are following rugby for the Scots here this morning. Ah, boy, didn't go well. You lost to the French, right? Is that right? You're not even nodding your heads any Scots here. It's very quiet. <laughs> and I know that today there's also going to be a big match. I was reminded this morning between the Welsh and England. Rugby tonight. I think I'll go for the English team. No, I'll go for the Welsh for the sake of peace. You see, we are in this one team. We are in the team Jesus. We are part of God's amazing team in this world. And we are all in Christ. In Christ there are no social, racial, ethnic, religious and cultural classes. Christ is all and in all. And there are no barriers between people groups based on their ethnicity and social standard. I mentioned last Sunday 16 people groups in this church. In our church family here. And I was immediately informed after the service. You forgot a few a bad thing to do, friends. So this list has now become from 16 to 19. Alright? Let me say the number of people in God's family here at St. Stephen's. So we have Australians, we have Sudanese, Fijians, Indians, Sri Lankans, Chinese, Koreans, Singaporeans, South Africans, Egyptians, Dutch, Malaysians, Scots, Vietnamese, Indonesians, French, German, Welsh. And those who are from Hong Kong. Have I forgotten? Don't, please. Oh, English. From England. Oh, there you go. So it's 20. I'm sorry. I don't want to talk too much about England after all the cricket stuff and all that. But it's all good. So we're 20 people groups in this congregation. What a tremendous thing is that. I mean, how could I forget Andrew Collins? I'm sorry, Andrew. Okay. What a beauty it is to have an ethnic diversity and harmony in one church. Christ is all and in all. And we are the body of believers in Christ. And that's a wonderful, great blessing for us here at St. Stephen's. And therefore, Paul says, as God's chosen people put on these things. And let me move on quickly. We saw this last week. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Here is heaven's wardrobe given by the ultimate and best Taylor, so that we can relate well to one another, so that we can display godliness in the way we live. I said we might know all the theology, knowledge puffs up, but theology must be applied in day-to-day living. Is that correct? Right? If I say I'm a great husband and love you, my dear, for say the rose, I love you so much and don't do anything around the house, how is she going to know that I love her? If I don't do the dishes at home. I mean, I love doing dishes. I find it very relaxing. We might think it's strange. I just sit there and I put the radio on. It's all good. And our husbands here and wives, if you say to your husband or your wife, I love you dear. Oh honey, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything for you. And then you just see her working and think, oh that's so good. That's nice. Well done. You want to show your love, wouldn't you? Right? And so we have this this, this relationship of godliness comes because we love Jesus. These clothes were perfectly worn by Christ. And so, 
Paul says, bear with one another. And he says, put on love which binds everything together. All the garments are bound together in love. And so this morning, we will just focus on this one verse. Uh, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And then Paul adds this, and be thankful. Just three words, and be thankful. We're going to unpack this text this morning. Uh, Two areas here, the peace of Christ and its implications, and the call to be thankful. The peace of Christ. You see, the Greek word that is being used here means, it comes also from the Old Testament perspective, that gives us a sense of wholeness. We know that we live in a fallen world, and peace has gone to pieces. You know that. I mean, I uh, was part of a debating team, and I got up one day, and I I had to propose this theme about peace. And the opposition uh, uh, guy got up and said, Peace has gone to pieces in this world. He, he just kind of <laughs> let go and that was it for me. What else can I say? It has gone for pieces in this world. Right? The Bible tells us that all of humanity is at odds with the Holy God. It tells us that we have deeply offended God by our sin, by our rebellion against Him. And the perfect peace that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the beginning was broken when they sinned against God. It was gone. And as a result of their sin, their disobedience against God, there were consequences for them and for the entire human race and the world we live in. We see sin's consequences in our own lives and in the world that we live in. I'm reminded of uh, the response by the well-known English poet, writer and Christian apologist, uh, which was, you can't see his face properly there, but it's okay, uh, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, to a newspaper which posed the question, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? What's the problem with the world? G.K. Chesterton reputedly wrote a brief letter in response to the newsletter. Dear sirs, I am. I am. The problem with the world is me. I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Would you see that as yourself? What's the problem with the world? It's me. It's us. It's the humanity. That's the problem with the world. The problem with the world is man's sin against God. That's the biggest problem in the world. And the problem is the world's sin against God. It is, her, it is myself. It is humanity. And how did God respond to the sin of Adam and Eve? In his justice, God had every right to walk away from mankind. But instead he enters into humanity in his son Jesus, the miracle of the incarnation, to bring peace and reconciliation between him and us and between one another. Now friends, we know there have been many false peace uh, agreements throughout human history. And perhaps the most famous, uh, the most famous one was the so-called peace in our time that Neville Chamberlain secured with Adolf Hitler Prior to World War II. You know the peace accord that was supposed to bring peace. And we know what happened. It was not worth the piece of paper that was kind of written on. Right? It did not work. At the international level, we know that the United Nations is supposed to bring peaceful resolutions between nations and within ethnic groups. It is a tough call and we know on occasions it has failed absolutely miserable. We think of the situation in Rwanda. You remember what happened in Rwanda? How many people were slaughtered? Think of the situation in Cambodia under Pol Pot. How many people were killed there? 
right now we have a dangerous situation developing in Ukraine. You watch the news? Who knows where the Ukraine situation will lead to. And yet, friends, unlike the broken peace treaties in the world, God makes an everlasting peace with his people. And our peace, our peace, is not in circumstances, but in a person, in a person called Jesus Christ. In fact, this takes us right back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a well-known text. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace. And so Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 5, for example, when he says, Therefore, we have been justified through faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was to take away our sin, to remove our offense against God, and to give us His peace. That's what we see here in the text here as well. Let the peace of Christ. It's a wonderful passage we have in John chapter 14. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Notice the word, my peace. See, Jesus rises from the dead. We're going to celebrate Easter next month. Uh, we already have the hot cross buns. It's up and running in the markets now. Right. And on Easter, we will celebrate what Christ has done. And remember what Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the, Jew, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And what did he say to them? Peace be with I've given you just a, I've just only skimmed the surface today on this topic of peace. You see, if I was to give you a further explanation of this peace, I will also relate it to an eschatological end of peace, which we won't do today. You see, when you go to graveyards and cemeteries, what do you see usually? R-I-P, rest in peace. I, I often think about, what does that mean? Rest in peace. Well, I think I understand the sentiment there. But really, if you don't have God's peace in your life now, how can you rest in peace in the future? Because it is peace in Jesus Christ that gives us ultimate peace, both here and for eternity. Is that right? That is the peace that we have in Christ. My peace. The, this peace is grounded in the perfect work of Christ, established according to his promises. The peace of Christ is eternal. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we enter into eternal, peaceful union in Christ, and we experience the peace of God, which Paul says passes all human... Study this text. Philippians 4, come on. The peace that passes all human understanding. What a blessing is that God's peace, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but there are times that multiple things goes on in our minds, right? Is that correct? Uh, things are coming, bam, bam, it's coming from all over the place. Uh, just this last week, uh, I was sitting in my office, I was preparing this, this, this talk, I received a call from my mother, and she said, my, my dad has fallen. He had a dizzy spell, he's fallen. Everything changed for me on Wednesday afternoon. I rushed him to hospital and he stayed in hospital and thankfully to God he's recovering. 
but just that one phone call. I'm sitting doing something, I'm talking, I'm, I'm actually preparing this topic on peace. <laughs> and my peace for a moment was gone. And what did I do? I tell you what I did. In my office, I just went on my knees and I couldn't do anything. I'm here, my parents are buried. I just prayed for God's peace for me and for him in that situation. And you can relate to stories like that. Right? You get a phone call, one doctor's visit, and everything can change. What do you do? See, it's his peace, you see. See, life is indeed complex. However, it does mean, my dear friends, that when we go through trials, there is hope and peace because of the person of Jesus Christ working in us and through us. And the risen Christ, the author of peace, the prince of peace, gives us both his peace and his presence. I want to emphasize that this morning because that's what we see in John chapter 20. We see the peace of Christ and the presence of Christ. Both together with his troubled disciples. So when you think about peace of Christ, you think also of the presence of Christ. Alright? With you. Always. That's wonderful. The peace and the presence of Christ. And so when Paul says here to the Colossian church, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, he is bringing us into the very foundation of that peace that God has established with his people in Jesus Christ. No matter what goes on around us and in us and within us, God gives you that peace. You know that, right? That peace that comes upon you. That sometimes that you can't even explain. God's peace. But it is also a peace in Christ. Knowing that our sins are forgiven and we have peace with God. It's not this kind of false, a fuzzy, a good feel peace. <laughs> It's a peace that is solid when we repent and believe in Christ. And, and Paul says here, let the peace of Christ then rule in your hearts. And so I ask the question for myself, what does it mean to rule in our hearts? And one of the commentators, F.F. F. Bruce, a fantastic biblical scholar, speaking of this word rule, and I tried to analyze this, this original word rule, it says that this word carried it, with it the idea of an arbitrate. So here in this context, we could say that this word rule carries with it the sense of to control, to decide, to judge. It is like a referee in a footy match, in a rugby match, in a basketball match, in a netball match, an umpire in a cricket match. We've been watching lots of cricket, I hope. Oh, it's good that South Africa... Anyway, Australia won that, so it's good. You see, he's, a, he's an umpire. And it's something like this, let the peace of Christ be the umpire, be the referee in your heart in the midst of conflicts. Let it be the umpire who will decide what is right and what is best in every given situation. Because immediately Paul gives us the clue how this peace works out. He says, Paul goes on to show how this peace of Christ should rule our hearts within the context of interpersonal relationships and especially within the church. Since as members of one body, you were called to what? What does the text tell us, friends? Verse 15. Since as members of one body, you were called to fight with each other? No, you are called to peace. Did you see that? that? We are to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. 
We are not to inflame a situation, but to let the peace of Christ be the umpire in our hearts to make the right decision and to say the right thing with the aim of peace, not with the aim of bringing chaos. We are not to be those who go around stirring unrest and unsettling the body of Christ and disrupting the work of Christ by our words and actions. And Paul says, as far as possible, Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. We are to be peacemakers. We need to bend over backward to keep and the peace and to maintain the unity. Yet at the same time, we are called also to be faithful to the truth of the gospel and to maintain the purity of the church. And therefore, this is not a peace at any price which ignores gospel truth, which ignores injustices and wrongs. Where there is wrong, we must deal with it. And sometimes church discipline is administered so that there will be peace in the body of Christ. <laughs> right? So this is not a peace at any price. However, friends, we must seek peace and pursue it. In the home, in your relationship between husbands and wife, when the temperature is going high, right? and you're having a conflict, and things are, mm, you know, I mean, it's not comfortable, that you feel the vibe in the room, what do you do? Do you raise the temperature? Or do you exercise peace? Think about this text. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. What can I do to lower the temperature? What can I do to bring peace? In the church, in the society, in the world. And then Paul goes on. As we move towards the end of this text. Just three words. And be thankful. Paul has mentioned the need to be thankful several times in this letter. Chapter 1, 3, 12, chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, 15 to 17, our text, chapter 4 and verse 2. Why should the Colossians be thankful? What are they to be thankful for? Thank God that their lives are safe and secure in Christ. They're a new creation. Well, let's ask ourselves the question, can we really be thankful to God today? I think about this. Let me, let, let me pose this question. If we only focus on this life, we may feel that we have not much to be thankful for in terms of material positions, health, or whatever. I think of Christians today suffering in many countries in the world. How can they be thankful? What are they going to thank God for? I think of a Christian parent, a mother or a father, who is suffering and not given a job because he or she is a Christian and can't feed his child. Have you ever fasted? Have you ever starved? Have you ever skipped a meal? You know the feeling? Have you ever gone without food for a day? Think about a week. I think of myself, how can a Christian who can't even provide for his child, I mean, how can we say, be thankful? What is he going to thank God for? For what? I mean, we have so much to be thankful for here, right? We've got, we got everything we need here. We can go down to the supermarket and buy instant noodles and instant yam char and whatever. I, I'm not sure if you can buy dumplings or whatever. Right? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, yeah, I remember a rice packet and put it in the microwave. Two minutes, you've got a fantastic food. I think about other people. What, what are they going to be thankful for? I think of the suffering. I think of the lonely. I think of a family who has lost a child in their lives. How, what, what, what does this text mean? You see, this raises the question as to how could 
We be thankful to God when we face tragedy or suffering. Perhaps it is easy to thank God when all things are going well in our lives. You've got a great job, you've got a lovely wife, you've got a great husband, right? your health is going well, you've got a great marriage, your children are keeping well and prospering, you're cruising in life. So much to be thankful for. But what happens when the going is tough? How does thankfulness fit into such a situation? Yet Paul says we are called to be thankful. Two examples. I'll give you quickly. Daniel, he was going to be thrown into the lion's den. Remember that whole story? Daniel goes up and he prays, giving thanks to God. Daniel chapter 4, as he has done before. Right? Think about uh, the leper, the ten lepers. How many came to give thanks to Jesus? All were healed, only one returned. Right? Now, I think the other nine didn't do anything wrong. I'm sure they would have thanked God in their own ways. But the point is, this one displayed thankfulness. He showed it. You see, a Christian thankfulness is like that. It will display itself in gratitude. It will display itself in our service for Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you have a thankful heart to God? How thankful are you to God this morning for everything that he has done for you and for me? And if you are thankful, friends, then we must show it, right? It's like that leper who returned and publicly thanked Jesus. You see, you don't be thankful and keep it to yourself and me in my corner. I am so thankful. God has done everything for me. I am very happy. A thankful person will show it. It will show in their lives. It will show in the way they respond to the gospel. It will show my difference in the way they live their lives. It will show in the way how I live my life for the remainder of my years on earth. It will be shown in a public display where you will say, God, I want to thank you for everything that you have done for me. And I dedicate the remainder of the years or the days of my life To live in a thankful spirit for what you have done. That's what it is. See, when you're thankful, it will be seen in your service. It will be seen in your giving. Every board meeting, I sit down and look at the budget with our treasurer who is there. You have the budget next next, next week. And we are looking at the finances. How is the giving in this church? You see, I'm a firm believer. When God touches the heart... That he'll touch the purse. And ultimately your giving is between God and yourself. But you know what God's word calls you to do. How thankful are we to God in terms of our giving of our finances for the work of the gospel here. We are thinking of employing a third part-time worker. We are carefully trading this because of the finances of this church. And some people have told me last week, Chris, where is your faith? They've asked me directly. So you see, thankfulness will show in the way we give. We don't have, yes we preach on giving, but ultimately friends, it's a decision you will make. With a thankful heart to say, God, yes, my, I don't have a wallet with me. See my briefcase. Yes, my wallet. I dedicate it to you. My salary, everything. What, is, what I give is yours, what I have kept back. Is also yours. I dedicate my talents to you. I dedicate my life to you in thankful response to what you have done. No one will have to come and force you and say, do this, do this, do that, do that, give this, give this, give that. Never. We'll probably have to say, hey, slow down, man. 
Just take things a bit easy in your life. In, you know, look after yourself, perhaps. You'll be wanting to say, Lord, you've done so much. I was listening, and I want to close with this, this song this last week, by Andre Crouch. You heard it? I won't sing it. I love to sing it. I was listening to his testimony actually last week. I'll say this say very quickly. He was a young boy and his father was a businessman. And his father was once called to preach in a, in a, in a, in a church, in a small church. And uh, his father said to uh, the congregation, we don't have a musician yet. And Andre Crouch was only nine years old. And he said, well, I'm going to pray if God wants a musician for us to help out that he will make my son be able to play and sing. And he called this young boy, who was just nine years, and said to this young son, Hey son, tell me, if God gave you the gift of music to sing and to play, will you use it for God's glory? And this little boy, Andre Crouch, looked up at his father and said, Oh yes. He said, I said with trepidation. And never did he realize that one day, <laughs> that prayer was answered, and he became one of the greatest singers. And he sang, and he Pen these words. How can I say thanks for all the things you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe, to all, owe it all to thee. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Friends, as we close this morning, where do you find your peace today? Have you found it in Christ? Are you a Christian here this morning? Do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, how are you living your life? Are you thankful to God? Here's an exercise for you to do this week. You go home today, between now and next Sunday, take a piece of paper, or maybe you've got a computer, of course you do, Write down a list. Please do it. Of things that you can give thanks to God. I was tempted to put paper out this morning and give you time to do that. I won't. You do it yourself. Just like I will do it. You write the list. And come and share it with me next week. Or share it with one another and say, Wow! This is the list that I can give thanks to God for. And and do it yourself, okay? Okay? Let's talk about it next week. Amen. Let's pray.